Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're very welcome to this week's podcast. On Monday, August the 15th, Heritage Week marked the day for the launch of the Kilcormick Oral History Project titled Capturing Our Story. And it all happened because Creative Ireland Community Grant allocated funds towards the project in partnership with Kilcormick Development Association. And so the voices of the people who were recorded are featured in this week's podcast. And it all starts with Sean Craven. Actually, the day I was born, uh, the, the story goes that my mother and father opened a shop on the Beside the board and one houses at the time, you know, so. Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, was it was was that Craven Shop or? Oh, Craven Shop, and it was always, it, people still recall the shop and I suppose uh, their interaction in the shop. See, my, my mother, I suppose, she was a very generous person and there was a lot of people in those houses to say that were struggling maybe at times and I know there were soft loans given out she almost worked like a bank or whatever but the, the beauty of it was her interaction with children mm. that I can still talk to people and especially when at her funeral and stuff when people be coming back and they be talking about yeah. about Craven Shop and yeah. the Penny Sweets and all this kind of stuff you know well did they, was it groceries or it kind mostly, of a grocery yeah. mostly groceries and you know the the old ice cream in the block you had to yeah. measure it out you know the biscuits came in the in the, in the jars in the jars of the boxes there was the peggy's legs and all of that the bread came they also used to do i suppose small forms of barter as well with the local people the the country butter came in yeah. you know people bought in the eggs and they got food or whatever and you know but the shop must have been buzzing because of the the uh, the Bordenamona activity there yeah well there were 104 houses in the estate so owned by Bordenamona owned by Bordenamona but the residents were all employees of Bordenamona at the time now it's obviously changed since but at that time you know loads of children you know yeah. it was because you had these massive big green areas up there so yeah there was lots of children up there but it was yeah, it was exciting at times, and we were the first shop, it'd be like, when people left the estate, you know, so. Qualified school teacher John Keane arrived in Kilcormack just over 50 years ago. They had the plans drawn for a new school in Kilcormack yeah. to, to take over from, we'll say, the, the convent, secondary top. But now it's scrapped because of the idea we'll go comprehensive all over the country. We'll build in the bigger towns. So you look at a place like Offaly, they would obviously see Burr, Tullamore and Edenderry as the main centres. Yes. And there might be another centre, but that would be it. And they would. the whole idea was at that particular point in time that you had major centres strategically placed in the, the major towns and that everybody else in the country would be bust into them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's 1968-9. 
1970, then all hell breaks loose when the people realise that they don't, that this school is not going to be built in Kilcormack, even though plans have been drawn for it. So more agitation starts and they're with the Department of Education. And finally, you know, Mr. McCann is reported to have said to the Secretary of the Department, you said in your own words that you would build the school. You gave us authority to draw plans and so on and so forth. Now you're going back on your word. Okay. And he was a fairly determined man when he went to that. And the secretary said, if I gave my word, I'd stick my word, stick to my word, eight prefabricated classrooms. That's what you'll get. And that's how it started. And Mr. McCann rang Sister Delourde in the convent and said, we're getting a school, but it's not what you want. It's not what I want. But if we don't take it, we'll get nothing. It's eight prefabricated classrooms. What do you think? So they decided to take it. And that was in 1971. My goodness. And when did you come here? 71. This is the summer of 71. So it's prefabricated, so you bring them in the back of a lorry. Yeah. You understand? I do, yeah. I mean, it, it was... And I was interviewed... <coughs> then I was interviewed on the 13th of August, 1971. It was a Friday. The timing was amazing, wasn't it? And I asked at the interview... When is this school going to open? Mr. McCann says, 1st of September. I said, you're joking. This is the 13th of August. I see nothing. When I was passing through, I had checked, you see, before my interview. I see only footings. He says, it's not going to be a traditional building that you're thinking of at the moment. It's prefabricated. They will come, they'll come in a matter of a couple of weeks. Joan Sweeney, remembering the cattle fair in Kilcormack. And of course the fairs were in Kilcormack all that time. And uh, usually, sometimes we'd get, what's this, say if it was an old fair, I don't know how they made that out, we'd get a day off from school. But um, oh, the, the cattle were all down the main street and there used to be, outside the convent now, there were stone, what I call it, bollards, they were permanent there. And that was the put-up railing to keep out the cattle out of the thing. But sure, the fair day was a great day. I know, yes, it would bring so, so much oh, in. Oh, so much in, in and everything. Yeah. And then, actually, years ago it was told there was, I suppose when the ICA started first, some, this person went to an ICA meeting the night before and there was uh, someone shown a beautician or what on it and she called out this particular lady to um, have her face all done up with powder and paint and all the rest of it and she was a young woman so they said she sat up all night with as she was and the next morning she was down parading up and down in the fair looking for a man and she had all the glamour on her still. <laughs> And did she manage to get a no, man? I'm, oh, well, she got one, but I don't know whether that was the time or not. <laughs> I actually was born in the Marion quarters in the Curragh of Kildare. My dad was in the army, did 21 years in the army. And he met my mother, who was a Kildare woman, um, while he was there and got married. And uh, he moved out of the army after the 21 years and went to Lullymore Briquette Factory. Paddy Byrne lived in Kilcormack for over 60 years and spent all his working life with Bordnamona. Um, when he went into Bordnamona, 
we moved from the Marion quarters in the Curra and we took refuge in the Bordenmona village in Kyledove in County Kildare. They have a little more houses than St Cormac's Park. There's 106 houses in it. Uh, did four shops, and uh, was a little, we were a little bit scarce in regards to the education. And we had to go to school in Robertstown, and we had to go to Mass in uh, Prosperous or Allen Wood. But uh, we did a few years there, and uh, my dad uh, decided to transfer, look for a transfer down to Bura, which was a little more open workshop set up. And as he had obtained his mechanical knowledge in the army. He went into Bora, where he took up on repairing the Gardner engines, which uh, drove the um, the uh, locos that brought the peat all over the, the bog. Okay. So we then moved from Kyle Dove in 1957, um, and we um, got our house here in Number Three St Cormac's Park, and. Um, Went to school. There was actually three of the family, three of uh, two siblings of mine, uh, but my two sisters who were, um, one sister was older and one sister was younger. There was three. And then there was another three born in Kilcormac. Uh, two lads and a girl. So there, there was six of us. And um, we went to school, did the usual here. Um, I'm 65 years now here. When I got married yeah. in 1971, I moved from number three to 28. St. Cormac's Park. I did Kick Cormac when I was nine years of age. And would your father have been one of the first in here, like the first group in here? I, I, I wouldn't say the first, but very near the first. Yeah. Uh, we, we were, as I would say, we were housed in, as we had a house in Kyle Dove, there, was, there wasn't that immediate move to get into Kilcormock. So there was a couple of years. And I said I was nine years of age when I came to Kilcormock. And, you know, these are lovely houses. Fantastic houses. I, I, I think that uh, if one was to look at it, it, it was a massive um, forerunner in regards to housing people. I know it was done simply to bring people in to work in the bog, but I, I'm sure that if it was looked at today, that yeah. uh, it would actually be uh, something there, a blueprint for, for housing as it is today. There, there has to be something there, you know, to show that... Um, and how many houses here in this? 104, 104, yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, you know all your neighbours, or most of them anyway, yeah. Well, at one stage, every person that was in here was employed in Bordemona. And Paddy Byrne continues to talk about a Russian delegation that came to Kilcormack and were amazed with the Bordemona houses. Well, I think over the years there would have been a number of delegations from other countries now when I say Russia and Germany and those places they had actually, there was a lot of bog in Russia, there was the compressing of coal dust in Germany of which we uh, previously talked about the the machinery came from Germany uh, to press the the peat into briquettes they did come, I'd say maybe just to see how we were doing it and comparing um, their methods with our methods. Um, I remember one delegation came here from Russia and they, they were uh, on one of the bogs uh, just um, some kilometres up the road here from Kilcormac. And on their way back, they asked the bus driver to stop, to look at the houses here. They were amazed 
with St. Cormac's Park. Now, they couldn't see 104 houses, but they saw from 1 to 28 from outside here. All the same, all the same doors, all the same white paint, red roofs, and they were amazed. So I, I just take it that they probably saw something that they had in their own country, a communal setup that uh, everybody was living in the same type house and accepting that they were living in the same type house. Claire Egan grew up in County Clare and was always interested in the performing arts as soon as she got married to the late Dennis O'Driscoll. She moved to Kilcormick and that's over 50 years ago. But as soon as she arrived, she got involved here in stage acting. We started a drama group and we used to do sketches and we did a few plays as well. And we had another man who originally lived in St Cormac's Park as well. And he was a teacher here in the secondary school. Lord rest him. And he was very good at producing drama. And there was a good few plays produced here and they were really good. How did you get into it? How did it start? I was always a lover of it. Before ever I married, down in Clare we used to have a drama group. And we, we used to do the festivals, and they still have it going strong. Yeah. And they, they're even in the All-Ireland Festival, I'm sure. And I haven't watched it much this year now. But they, they did. They were, they were very good at it. So I was, I was used to it from that. I was brought up in it. My aunts before me used to do it. Yeah. yeah. There was a few of them actually offered positions in the Abbey Theatre. But again, they had family commitments, so... Oh, did, oh, that's a, did yeah. any go, go ahead and, and get involved in... They got involved in the local drama, but they couldn't leave to go up to the Abbey Theatre. They would have had to leave in Dublin, you know, and they had commitments at home, so... And your own passion for it, I mean, they... they I loved it, yeah, I loved, loved it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I loved so it. So, what kind of concerts uh, would you put on? Or well, what happened? Yeah. you often heard of Big Maggie, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. That used to be put on, and... Uh, uh, oh, Juno and the Peacock was a particular favourite of mine. That one. Yes, which is lovely, isn't it? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Sean O'Casey's. Yeah. Sean O'Casey was a brilliant playwright. Yeah. Did you yeah. put on any John B. Keane? John B. Keane, indeed. Indeed, we did. The first one I ever acted in was The Country Boy, Tom Murphy. That was okay. brilliant. I was only 16 or 17 when I did that. Yeah. yeah. And everybody was telling my mother what a beautiful voice I had. I couldn't sing a note, I was miming to someone else. But did that push you into a whole different character when you got on the stage? Oh, that's what I loved about it, because I was very, very shy. You know, I mean, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, I wouldn't sit down here talking to you now like this. No way. But going on the stage or someone else. Yeah. And it does help. Tom Daly grew up in Kilcormack. He qualified out of St. Patrick's College in Drumcondra and after teaching for a few years in Dublin, returned to Kilcormack. It was at the back of our mind, we had two children, or well, we had one child and one on the way, and we kind of thought that at some stage we'd probably leave Dublin, but we weren't, um, we weren't set on moving back here. But then, it was a job opportunity came up here. Um, uh, there was a school called Gortnamona. It's about six or seven miles outside Kilcormack here, and it's actually in the parish. So um, the principal there, a woman called Maura Carr, unfortunately had died young from cancer. And there was a vacancy there. It was a two-teacher school with a teaching principal. So um, I applied for that job and got it. So we moved back 
and uh, rented a house in Tullamore for a year while this one was being built. And okay. So what year did you come back? 1982. Yeah. Uh, and what was it like then? <laughs> going into, you know, coming out of the city. Coming out of the city school, <laughs> yes, and going in. It, it was very, very, um, completely different from what I had been doing for nine or ten years. But, you know, the children were just um, different and, uh, well, I suppose... All different in what way, now? Um, I suppose if I used the word, there was a... Uh, an innocence about them it might sound not very complimentary and I suppose I don't mean it in that way they were just um, you know you know the way city children might be a bit more streetwise and so on there was just a nice um, I suppose almost like old fashioned just a niceness about them Um, you know I suppose country children compare city children of course they grow up a bit quicker yeah. You know, they're more aware of the 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 trend. Well, I suppose back in the 90, early 1980s, they were anyway. Um, you know, city children were more aware of what's happening on television of maybe the, going back in those times, you know, BBC and the English influence and so on. Whereas down the country, there were the simpler... Um, they had simpler interests. You know, they were more, the children were more interested in let's say, hurling and football, they were more interested in tractors and sheep and cattle and all sorts of things. You know, it was lovely. Agnes Gorman grew up in the outskirts of Kilcormac and she was born into a staunch GAA family and, uh, of course, from a very early age, got involved herself in Gaelic football and in Camogie. Um, we won nine Leinsters. Um, nine? Nine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we see, we started very young. Uh, we yeah. were playing Komoki first, and there was an incident in school where somebody got hurt with a hurl, and uh, the nuns uh, decided to gather them up, and that was it. So, football was beginning to sort of um, with um, at festivals and that, and they thought it was fun to have the women playing football. So that's how it started, and my sister was interested, and she went to Dublin, and uh, the, to, she was. Uh, um, uh, uh, nursing nurse training I yeah. her training to be a nurse yeah. and herself and a group of girls uh, here from the county uh, would go out to Phoenix Park and then you had Brendan Martin who um, seen our, uh, our poverty I suppose because none of us had any money and he'd uh, hire a bus for us uh, off the association in Dublin Would it, um, he'd um, yeah. bring us down we were down in Waterford yeah. uh, we played uh, Galway Kerry came on the boat then and um, so um, Brendan then decided that he'd uh, buy a cup for the first All-Ireland in 1974 and awfully got to the final and we played um, uh, Tipperary and Tipperary beat us by one point and I had to hand the cup over to the captain of the Tipperary team oh my (laughs) goodness but tell me uh, it was good anyway it was good it was enjoyable in those days you know, women in sport was it just, unheard of. Yeah. So were you were you mocked or uh, you know were were people oh. d- d- disliking the fact that you were playing? Oh, it wasn't ladylike. <laughs> but then you see that stemmed from way back. Ladies were um, uh, they were the um, 
uh, rearing families and that was their job and the men went out and worked and all that type of thing and uh, provided for the family. It was a woman's place to be in the home, the old cliché. So I think uh, that uh, then, uh, you see, Komogi was um, uh, going fairly okay in, in city areas and that and uh, um, that kind of lived on. There was a break for a few years and then it became uh, prominent again for girls. So this was a new take and... Um, uh, yeah, there was people who would come and they'd say, uh, I look at girls, hang up your boots or that, you know, they'd say that to you. But we yeah. kept going, we didn't listen. And that's the way it was then, you know. Ernest DeVito came from a long line of an Italian family involved in the catering business. But when he got married and moved into Kilcormack in the early 70s, he opened a shop in the middle of the town. We sold everything. When I took the shop over, it was only a news agent that sold confectionery and papers. When we took it over, we went into jewellery, ties, fuel, electrical goods, unit. We sold a bit of everything in it. And that's the way it really snowballed for us, you know. Okay. And what was your biggest uh, seller in there? like? Uh, the, the, the newspaper drew people in. And, that's and, it. And then what? Yeah. Well, you see, if you wanted a present for anniversary, wedding, whatever like that, birthday present, we had it. Yeah. And that was a bonus for, for no one else was doing it in the town, you know. Uh, you said you sold ties. We sold well. ties, yeah. So, yeah. so quirky and dinky. And yeah, and all that. We were the first, actually, when we came to town, I think after the first Christmas, our second Christmas, we were supposed to have Santa in town. We done Santa Claus, and we done it for oh, I don't uh, an awful lot of years before we actually stopped doing it. Yeah, Good. before the biggest yeah. uh, shops took over, really. And who yeah. was Santa? Well, the first couple of years, my dad got resting on it because he he was a small man and he had a bit of weight, and he was the ideal ideal Santa. And we used to actually have a trail and we used to go up to through St. Cormac's Park and down and through Mount Rat Street and the kids would be following and he'd be throwing out sweets and then come back here and he, oh you had them queuing up for Santa then in them days but we had to stop them going because of security measures you couldn't take a chance anyone get injured or anything we had to stop going out we just put him in he arrived <laughs> And that was it. But, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of, um, do you know, all the, uh, you know, wh- what else? Were you selling tobacco? Or oh, what? yeah, cigarettes and tobacco. Yeah, we sold all that. We sold pipes. We had cross pens, Parker pens. Uh, what was our lighters? Uh, good lighters. Oh, we done everything, really. It was a, we had everything in the shop. I mean, you could get anything you wanted, you know. Kilcormack Park in the town of Kilcormack is an extraordinary place in that it had so many migrants coming from all over the country to live there while working with Bordnamona. Seamus Barn did his apprenticeship in Tullamore and moved to the park with his new wife in the 1960s. It's a very un- unusual, like, because we came, everybody was coming at that time, like, a lot of people came, like, well, I think at one stage out of the 32 counties, there was 26 different counties represented here in these houses. And uh, I think it was Frank Gibney designed them, like, you know, and he was way ahead of his time, because if you look at the state, the houses are in circular, 
they're not where well, you can look out your front door you can see 50 more front doors where it's not a big long row of blocks like you know and I, I always reckoned that it wasn't just the houses they built it was the community built because the camaraderie that was built up here by the people like and it's still there to this day yeah. I, I have uh, lifelong friends here like you know and the fact that we were all working in one job you said that was the common denominator like once you talked about Pete you naturally talk about the weather like you know and production and it all hinged on the weather, like, you know, it was really like the farmer. You got the peat and the good weather, and if you got a good season, you got good money. Yeah. So it was, it was a common denominator, like, and it had a huge um, effect on, on the village here of, of, of Kilcormack. And I think within 10 years, like, I think the population nearly doubled, which uh, and it played a huge part in the social economic development of Kilcormack. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But... You know, in those days, your your wife, she was at home. She wasn't out working. No. So all the women remained in the houses? All the women remained in the houses, yeah. All the women remained in the houses. Like, and they became friends. Like, so we worked together. We socialized together, like, you know. And then the school was built here in 1965. You see it down there at the bottom of the park. It was actually built. I saw it, yeah. So the, the children could actually, they didn't have to leave their park to go to school. And mommy could see the child into the... The, the school door, like you know, which was very secure. And finally, I spoke to farmer Sean Bracken, who's farming the land in Ballyby outside Kilcormack. We spoke about the town of Kilcormack being a milling town. It was a whole chain of events. You know, you had the farming doing well because they were producing grain, and grain was going for malt, and you had Tullamore Jew, and you had, you know, the whiskies being made locally. And the fact then that a lot of the work, it wouldn't be automated like today, like the big new brewery in Tullamore would be very much, I'd say, very small staff could run that whole outfit. But that was, it was very manual. So the grain had to be, uh, we would, as we would call it here, turned on the loft to keep it from heating and so on. There were wooden floors, very low, and the men worked in a crouched position. And... If anyone wanted to see that, I was just saying, if you go to Middleton, they have reproduced that type. And you can still hear the guys shoveling, you know, it's just an automated, but you can hear them. So that went on. I remember those mills. I was in, as a boy with my father, a little lad, I was in those uh, lofts, which would be several tiers, and there'd be grain, but it had to be all hauled, carried up, carried down. There was no grain augers like today or pumps for pushing the grain we're very automated today now and do you remember the check coming in every month oh, yes. or at a high, no, well, it was, was it every, each year it was a yearly thing yeah. it was that was uh, there is a very famous uh, songwriter in Canada and he wrote a song The Field Behind the Plough and it's a lovely lovely song and it's very well known he's dead he's passed away now and I can't think of his name but it was all related you were ploughing the field with the promise of a good harvest. You know, that you got your cheque to feed your family, to buy the food or whatever. And that's really what still is incest. You know, it's in people's brain that I will plough, not knowing really how your harvest is going to be, but it's the promise of that good harvest that will put that cheque in to feed and to keep your farm going. Yeah. It, it, this it, is psychology now. Yeah. This is... The, <laughs> This is how it works in the back of the brain, you know. Yeah. But uh... We've come to the end of this 
wonderful tapestry of life in a town in the Midlands, capturing the story for posterity. If you would like to listen to the full interviews, you can do so by visiting the Tullamore County Library website or by visiting Irish Life and Lore website and we hope to have them live on our website in about a month's time. My name is Morris O'Keefe. I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week.